0: Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Paul tells us in Romans that the loving kindness, thank you, Kim, for being on that wavelength, the loving kindness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. It is, it's meant to. God's compassion, his chase for us, his mercy, his loving kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. But it's really interesting, uh, I say the meant. In a roundabout way this morning, we are gonna be talking about real repentance. Um, We are. What his loving kindness is meant to do. Uh, How sometimes we can maybe be off, Key. We can be off speed of that loving kindness. This is what it's meant to do. Um, Anyone need like repentance in the room? I do. I just. It's okay. We we can move past that. Uh, We are in week. We are in week two of a story of Jonah. All right, and maybe this is your first time to come in and you're like, I don't, I don't know Jonah. Or maybe you're like, I'm a, I'm a boss and I know Jonah, uh, but I'm new to here. It's okay, we can all meet in the middle together. Chapter two of Jonah, that's the best thing about this, is, is four weeks in the book of Jonah, and there's four chapters. We're taking uh, week by week a new chapter, and we are in chapter two of Jonah. And I will be honest, um, I learned about the story of Jonah as a wee little lad, right? Anyone else? Like, you You hear it, you know Jonah, you know the whale or whatever fish it is, and you know that he runs away and the fish catches him, right? We know this. Uh, I even was a part of a, a teaching team. I was a youth pastor, and I remember even six years ago, our church went through the book of Jonah, and I even got to speak chapter three, a chapter that Dalton's taking for me, so I don't have to speak it twice. Um, he's speaking next week. Uh, uh, or in 2 weeks on it and I remember even going through it but I can be ver- like brutally honest with you right now God has never spoken so clearly to me about the book of Jonah than he has this month. Like, I am loving my staff meetings with our staff. Like, we've already planned out, like, we already know the trajectory of of what's happening over the next, like, four weeks of Jonah. We just have been diving into the book. We've been talking about the raw heart of Jonah. We've been talking about his attitude, the heart of God, and it's just been, it's been good. Like, staff meetings have been good as we've dove through this, but I've never, I don't know, maybe you missed last week, and that's okay, you, you could find a podcast, but maybe you were with us last week, and for the first time, it really clicked in your heart why Jonah ran. We, you know, maybe for the longest time you literally thought he was just scared of the Ninevites, and so out of fear he ran. Or maybe some of you, like, timidity or insecurities get you, and so you naturally ascribed that to Jonah, and out of insecurity, I'm not good enough. Like, you know, Isaiah, uh, you know, like, woe is me, man of unclean lips. Maybe you thought that's why he ran. But we dove last week, and I sort of gave you a glimpse. I read verse, I think, six of chapter four, where Jonah says, God, this is why I ran. And you're like, okay, what? And he tells him, he tells God, I knew you were loving and kind. I knew that you were kind, God, slow to anger. That's why I didn't run, or that's why I didn't go to Nineveh. Literally what he's saying is, I knew who you were, And I didn't think the Ninevites deserved it. It wasn't fear that Jonah ran away. It wasn't insecurity or timidity. It wasn't even uh, that he was maybe had a lack of faith. His resentment was because he thought he knew better. And he thought God didn't. I know God. They don't deserve you. He's literally taking on judge and jury. And we talked last week, the spirit of pride silenced the voice of the Lord in Jonah's life. And so all last week was, how has the spirit of pride halted, squashed the spirit, the voice of the Lord? Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's happened to me uh, over and over and over. And if you were with us last week, uh, Jonah's disobedience sort of led him to go on board of of a boat and then God's word chases him. And this time, it's not verbally, it's through a storm. Storms happen, uh, and, and it's chaos. If the screens go blue, it's all right. It's just a, a challenge for you to pay attention, not be distracted, right? Uh, a fun little challenge. But he is in a boat. Storms come, and he tells them, uh, it's my fault. Throw me over, and the storms will cease. All chapter one, here's a quick little thing. They, they pick him up, throw him over, storms cease. All right, now Jonah is in the water, and this verse 17, where we ended last week, happens. It says, But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three three days and three nights. And as we ended last week, it was the spirit of pride that caused uh, Jonah to resist the spirit of prophecy, that calling that you and I have to take God's word and make his word known, hear God's voice, and then be God's voice. That spirit of prophecy of speaking the testimony of Jesus, Jonah's pride got in the way. But now he's in in the waters and in the fish. We talked last week about this beautiful ability to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is Jonah is in the literal provision of the Lord. Like, if you think of it this way, um, the fish, when it says God provided a fish, that word provided is the word manna. The same thing that they, uh, like, manna, what is this, manna? Uh, that, that same thing, uh, it's a Hebrew word that means provision, God's blessings, a provision. He provided a fish and it's interesting, for three days and three nights, Jonah sits in this provision, and unlike before, when they begged him to pray and he didn't pray, Jonah decides to pray. All of chapter two is a prayer. You, you, you with me in it? All of chapter two. It may not be up here. In fact, if this one's distracting, you can go ahead and turn it off for people. Uh, there's a... a this, remote. My wife is like, this, Kate, it's this. It's a remote. It fits in my hand like this. Anyone else do that sometimes? You're like, it's that thing that you should have. But we're going to open up to chapter two this morning uh, of Jonah. So Jonah, chapter two, verse one. I would encourage you. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Um, but it says, then Jonah prayed. and the belly of the fish, then Jonah prayed. He prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Verse 4, then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters, they've closed in over me, the deeps surrounded me, seaweeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down from the land whose bars closed up me forever, upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O oh, Lord my God. Verse 7, As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Verse 8, those who worship vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then verse 10 happens. The Lord speaks to the fish and it spewed Jonah out upon dry land. What a fun story. Just chapter two, we get it, this little prayer inside the belly of the fish in the darkness, and I love it because Dalton, uh, who, who you'll hear from in a few weeks, literally said, what I love about this is for the first time, we see Jonah realize the darkness that was actually in him. He's like in the dark of the whale, like the whale, sorry, my, my, my southern roots came out. He's in the dark of the whale, And for the first time, the darkness that was in him is now surrounding him, and he's owning it. He's recognizing it. But at the same time, it's God's provision right now. He's in his provision. And this prayer, honestly, when we read it on our own, I'd encourage you to read it again this week. When we read it on our own, uh, we, we seem to think that it's exactly what needs to happen for Jonah's heart. It seems like a repentant moment. I'm going to keep using that word seems as we go on. It seems fitting for the God of all compassion, that God's compassion, his his kindness should lead us to repentance. It seems like this is a moment of repentance for Jonah. Not only that, like, uh, it seems like Jonah is owning his wrath, like God's wrath to him. He literally uses words like this. You cast me into the deep. I realized that I was surrounded. Your waves crushed over me. He says I was driven from your sight. I mean, he's using words that sound like he gets it. The waters, they closed me in. The deep surrounded me. He says I was in the wake of your wrath. Like, right? Like, I, I was in it. And then I remembered you, Jonah says. And I'll do what I have vowed. It seems like this beautiful turning point for Jonah's heart. In fact, like, honestly, I don't know why. But for years, I have categorized this chapter as Jonah's come to Jesus moment. I have. But honestly, like, it isn't. If you will let me be with you in this, this is actually the moment that shows all of us that Jonah needed to come to Jesus. This is the moment, chapter two is a moment that proves that God's people needed a Messiah one day. This is the moment that will prove that on our own, repentance isn't working very well. All right, if you just sit with me in this, the sad reality is uh, he actually doesn't have this, aha, my pride gets in the way of your spirit. If you'll do this with me, though, I think we can actually look into his words, um, and maybe even the definitions that, that are running his words, and realize, like, hey bro, chapter 2, it may have led you to chapter 3, where a whole city of Nineveh was changed. But it also led you to chapter 4, where you're about to have a pity party under another provision of the Lord, saying, God isn't good. That spirit doesn't just happen. It's been in you. Repentance didn't change that. And if we were this, uh, what you can take note on, what you can have embedded in your heart and mind is this, the fish wasn't enough to change Jonah's heart. It wasn't. The fish wasn't enough. And some of you can fight me on that. Like, you go, what, Pastor? Like, that doesn't make sense. Why did God do it? The fish wasn't enough. If the fish was enough, can I just challenge you on this? If the fish was enough to change Jonah's heart, then a second Jonah wouldn't have had to come a second Jonah who would literally have to be surrounded by the wrath of God, who would literally have to cast himself deep into the pit of God's anger and wrath. If Jonah's fish was enough, then Jesus would have never had to say, okay, I will go to the pit. I will let wrath surround me then Jesus wouldn't have had to say, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days. If the fish was enough, then Jesus wouldn't have had to redo the whole story for us. But instead, something crazy happens if we actually look at it from God's perspective this morning. Let's slow down and hear the, the Lord of hosts say, this is why I wrote the story of Jonah. It wasn't a story of Jonah It was a story of my people. It wasn't a story of Jonah. It was a story that um, of paradoxes that happen in our life. You ready for a paradox? That one of those things that like happen at the same time but don't make sense. Well, here's a paradox that you'll see over and over. The paradox is that we can be surrounded by God's provision, but unchanged by His character. This is the story of Jonah. He was surrounded. By God's provision, but unchanged by his character. This is the story of Israel surrounded by God's provision but unchanged by his character. Hindsight's like twenty twenty. Can you th- remember like all the times in your life when you were surrounded by God's provision, yet as arrogant as ever? Like you were surrounded by God's provision, yet as lustful as ever. You were surrounded by God's provision, yet as fearful as ever. You were surrounded by God's uh, provision, yet you were as blank, angry, bitter, resentful as ever. Just because he is around us doesn't mean that we are changed by his character. His character is meant to lead us to repentance. But we can be in the belly of a fish, surrounded by his provision, and not change. Why? What happens? What gets it? What is, what is happening in him? In fact, like Jonah has a form of repentance here. Here, he does. Uh, we were talking in staff and Kate, my wife said, it's a form of repentance, but it's like an immature one. It's an okay start. To say, I'm sorry, God, I was wrong. To recognize God's mercy that he drew you out of the pit is good. That's a good start to repentance. But to own what God has done for you, And to not take a step further to say, God, how should I be like you, is the issue. Does that make sense? A lot of our repentance is so immature to the point where we say, thank you for saving me, God. But we don't ask God's saving to change any of us. You know what I mean? God, I was... I was in the deep. I was surrounded by seaweed. I was in the pit of despair in my addiction, some of you. I was lonely. I was isolated. You have brought me from that place. There is healing that has happened. Good. But now we got to repent, right? It's not enough to just claim what God has done. But there's repentance that does need to happen. It's almost repentance. He does what I have done many times. You ready? Verse eight, it's up there. He says, those who worship vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Cool. But who's he talking about in here? Like literally no commentary. You, I want you to like do this work for me those who worship vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I scanned dozens of commentaries. No one actually knows who he's talking about. It's the best kind of confession to say there's some of us that are just really struggling with lust, but I will sacrifice to the Lord. Do you you get what he just did? Who is he talking about? Is it the like, fishermen who like, uh, the fishermen who were forsaken their, their hope of a real God and they were praying to all these other gods? Is he talking about Nineveh? Is he talking about himself? If he was, then he should have said, I have forsaken God. Because confession happens by owning what we've done. But what he does do is tell God what he's going to do instead. You notice that? Real repentance says, I've messed up. Immature repentance says, I will do better. Immature repentance says, I will do this. I will not do this. Real repentance says, I have done this. Will you change me? False repentance says, God, I won't do it. In fact, can we just like get to this? An action change is not an attitude change. An action change is not an attitude change. Over and over and over and over in Scripture, we see God desiring attitude changes. I want my people to know me to be shaped by me. I want their attitudes to be different. Yet over and over and over in scripture, we see the Israelites saying, I will do better. Legalism is the birthplace of that, right? Like, I will do more. I will have it better. I will, I will make vows to you and I will do it. This is the same God who literally um, speaks against this. And he says this uh, in Hosea 6. Uh, he says, I delight in steadfast love and not in sacrifice. I put that there with this one because this verse is so important to the heart of God that Jesus would literally go to the Pharisees and say, I need you to learn what I mean by this. I need you to learn what this means. I delight in, and then he literally quotes this, steadfast love, compassion. I delight in mercy, not in sacrifice. But it's interesting. Compare God's delight to what Jonah does. Jonah says, people who worship fake idols, they give up on their ability for your love. But I, I will sacrifice. I will do the right thing. God's like, buddy, literally, I want you to have my love. I delight in you having my attitude. Not in you doing the right thing. Do you hearing me? There's a, there's a small but huge difference in this. Jonah's literally saying, I will do the action and God's like, I need you to have the attitude. I will do the action, but God's like, I need you to have the attitude. And Dozens of dozens and dozens of times we have done this. How many of you have literally said, "Like, uh, God, I will just not do that anymore. In fact, some of your relationship with God is a lot about action, is behavior modification. God, I am sorry, I won't do that again. I won't do that again. Some of you have literally said, I will stop, uh, I will stop porn. I'm just going to stop it. And that's great that you have an action change, except without the attitude, heart posture change, you will just pick up another sin that might be in your mind categorized as a little better, but you're just going from one to another. An action change, God, I just want to, I want to, I want to do the right thing. Some of you care so much about doing the right thing. You miss the heart of God to just see him, hear him, know him, to have an attitude shift. I delight, God says, and step in mercy in you, a heart that mirrors me, not actions, not actions. But it's interesting, though, because the way of Jesus versus the way of Jonah is, is really powerful. Uh, in fact, can I just shape how we view Jonah chapter 2? I think Jonah chapter 2 is not of a coming to Jesus moment, but I really think chapter 2 of Jonah shows us the need for Jonah 2.0. Like it really, it shows us, it shows us the reason for a second Jonah. You want to open it up to second Jonah? Okay. Let's look at the Jesus character, right? Like he, and I just, I love that God is so good that Jonah is in heaven because Jesus took his literal pride and said, I'm going to rewrite your story, Jonah. I love you so much that I'm going to rewrite your story. The father spoke to you and you didn't obey. The father speaks to me and I will. Yeah, he was looking at us, all that. and It's not about you though, right? He was looking at Jonah too. I'm going to literally rewrite your story so that it's not categorized by your rebellion. It's categorized by me being in the grave. Not you in the belly of the fish, but me in the grave for three days. Jesus is that good. That he's willing to rewrite some stories, but there's some way of dif- differences that that I need to go out. So uh, I'm going to make sense of this, and then we're going to dive into it. Okay? There's the way of Jesus and a way of Jonah, and I want to categorize it this way. There's a the way of duty, and there's the way of delight. There's the way of duty, and there's the way of delight. Our prayer team, guys, if you want to be a part of a team that that is just like hearing the voice of the Lord, come on Sunday mornings because. Two weeks in a row that this has happened, they have literally heard and been praying for what I'm preaching on. They didn't even know. Meg this morning said, I just, God wants us to learn his delight over us and to delight in him. I'm like, she has no idea. I'm literally about to speak on the way of delight versus the way of duty. And this is so fun that I started writing this down and making notes and going crazy. And then I read commentaries. And uh, Matthew Henry, one of the commentaries that I read, uh, literally speaks this. He says, Jonah here returns to the Lord. And then he literally says, as a way of duty. And I'm like, all right, God, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to keep going on this. And he goes on to say, like, Jonah just obliges. He, he knows God is God. And so he's just willing to do what God says. He knows that God is right, so he's willing to do what God says. But he says his obedience is nearsighted. And I just like that. I wrote it down. His obedience is nearsighted. You see, the way of duty versus the way of delight. The way of duty is uh, doing what you think God wants you to do because you're afraid of his consequences. Or doing what you think God wants you to do. Which sounds fine until it just is all about doing right? Duty, duty, duty. Anyone else get get burnt out from doing, doing, and doing, and doing? Because at the end of the day, who does your flesh think is doing it? You. Like at the end of the day, it's just you doing a lot of things. And it's just, it's it's a little chaotic. And so if you want to write this down, the way of duty is just about falling in line with the will of God, which if I can just say something very blunt uh, about the will of God, this sounds really good, The way of duty is just about falling in line with the will of God. And I just want to get into some of your prayer life. Some of you have just been saying, God, what is your will? You have all these options and you're trying to know what is the best one. And your relationship with the Lord has become all about what you're doing, what actions you should do, which is okay. Until you realize that even demons have to submit to the way of duty. Now I just went... Even demons have to, at the end of the day, fall in line with the will of God. So there's something more than just duty that God demands. Think about it. Even demons are under the lead of Jesus. Like he, whether it's his foot, he's going to be a footstool, right? Like he's putting his foot on him. Or it's the kingdom of God and we're his body. All of us are under the lordship of Jesus. Satan cannot do anything that, that, the, that the Lord says, stop. He must even demons have to submit to the duty under the Lord. Think of that. So it's more than just that. God doesn't want a whole host of minions doing what he says. He doesn't. He doesn't want a whole host of minions just obeying his every word because we all have to do that anyways. He's a creator. What he desires is someone who has a heart posture who has the way of delight. So can I just speak, the way of delight is a little different. The way of delight knows the will of God, like a minion would, would do it, but also desires the presence of God. If you want to write this note down, the way of delight is about knowing God's will, yes, but being aligned with his character. This is where a demon could never be in the presence of God. Why? Not because they don't submit under God, and because they have to submit. At the end of the day, all right. Like at the end of the day, He crush them, right? They can't. But why they can't be in His presence is because only those who align with God's character can truly know and be one in His presence. There's a difference. It's not about doing things. It's not. It's about knowing and being aligned and being transformed by his character. This is literally the difference we see in Jesus. Jesus has this ability, like Jonah, to hear the Lord. He says, I do. He's told his disciples this over and over. I do the will of my Father. What my Father speaks, I do. I do the will of my Father. But he also shows us something. Do you remember that passage in Scripture where Jesus, it says, he saw the crowds and this is how I know I'm not like Jesus. Because sometimes I see the crowds and I'm like, I'm going the other way. Uh, anyone like I'm an, I'm an introvert. I see the crowds and I want to run. Jesus saw the crowds and he has compassion on them. Scripture says because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What that short little verse is showing us is Jesus not only did the will of God, he had the character of God. I love without Jesus said, I, I give of myself. I am present. I, am, I value people. Jesus did the way of delight where Jonah says, for the duty set before him, he endured the trek to Nineveh. Which I'm like, did you really endure? The Bible says in Hebrews, for the delight, the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross Literally, it's this beautiful shift. Jonah was like, okay, God, I'll do it. I'll do the right thing. I'll do it. I'll do it. And then at the end of the day, we see him slumped under a provision, another provision of the Lord, angry. Jesus redoing it for the joy set before him, his delight. I know the Father. I know the end goal. I know that this is going to not only be hard, but this is going to be beautiful and glorious. It's not about Jonah. Jesus knew it's not even just about Jesus. It's about the triune God, the Godhead. That, you know, it's not just about the person Jesus, or else he would would freak out because the person of Jesus is about to die. Jesus knew it's about the Godhead. Three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. I'm going to obey. I'm going to have his character. And this two ways have literally been convicting me this week. I've literally asked myself over and over, do I need, whoa, Greg, do you need an an attitude change? Like, are you forcing actions and at the end of the day, what you really need is just an attitude change? I've been, I've literally told people like, do I just seek to do the right thing? Do I seek to make things right? Or do I seek to speak his attitude? Like, do I try to live with his character? Do I want to know what is best? Or do I just say, God, who are you in this? Like, you know, this is very different. What would happen if, as a church, we stopped just trying to be right and we actually just asked what his attitude was? God, how do you see that? Who are you? Because it's not God's duty that leads us to repentance, it's his nature. It's his character. It's his character. It's not even the fact that Jesus died on a cross. It's not the action of the cross that leads us to repentance. It's the attitude, the heart posture, where Jesus said, better is it for a man to lay his own life down. What greater love than that? That's where redemption is. But it's powerful. Like, uh, I've really been asking myself this question, like, God, like, I've been introspected. I, am I repeating these actions, trying to have a different result? And am, I, am I making these promises to you? And really, you're just like, Greg, I want your heart to be different. But it's interesting. Uh, as I looked at Jonah, I started recognizing something, too, about me. Uh, and this can help you. We can know the way we've been walking by the fruit that's being produced. Um, And this is actually a little different than you think. Uh, Because sometimes it can be a little tricky. Sometimes it can be a little tricky. The story of Jonah, the reason why the enemy uh, can let us read the story of Jonah over and over and over and miss the point, is because the book of Jonah still yields fruit. It does. Think about it a whole civilization repents. Fruit happens. So you can't just determine the way you've been living by the fruit happening. You have to ask, where's the fruit coming from? Where's the fruit coming from? Because I need you to understand God's word producing fruit and God's people producing fruit are separate things. God's word producing fruit and God's People, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You could tell what way you're going by what fruit you're producing. But Paul to the Philippians, he says, some preach Christ out of envy, out of rivalry. They're speaking it out of selfish ambition. But guess what? Christ is being preached. It's where the the word of God does not return void. So whether a non-believer speaks The word of God and fruit happens. Is that the non believer bearing fruit or is that just God doing what God does best? His word producing life, right? So, this is the danger then. Some of us, we do what the Bible says, so then, therefore, our actions start speaking some of the tenets of the Bible, but our heart never changes. This is why seven years in marriage can end in divorce because you're doing the actions of being married, but not having the heart of a husband or a wife. You you feeling me? Very different. This is how you can do the actions of what the Bible says, and it seems to be bearing fruit in your life until something happens and your attitude comes out, right? Right? God's word is so good that even when I'm stupid as a pastor, people can get, still get saved. Right? Like, that's, that's the power. Like, even when I do something dumb, even when I have a bad attitude, God will still work in my home. Now, does that mean, okay, it's good. I'll treat his word with this flippancy. no. Because God desires this attitude change. The word of God producing fruit is very different. God so loves the world. And this is that minion piece. Can we just like sit in the love of God, the lavish love? Are you ready? He so loved you that he doesn't just want you to carry a word, a truth that is outside of you. But he so loves you that he actually died to shape the very thing that's withholding you from being the one to produce stuff. Like, God just doesn't want me to say his testimony. He wants me to live it. He doesn't just want me to do the actions that will produce fruit from his word. He wants me to actually have an attitude of love. He actually wants me to produce peace. He actually wants me to produce joy, which then it hits me. It urges me to ask in this season, what is the fruit that you've been producing or that's been producing over around you? Is it because out of duty, you've still been reading the Bible and every now and then that word comes and you give the word that you just read that morning to someone else and it changes their life and you pat yourself on the back because you're like, I did it. And you just keep going, and your relationship with God's word is so transactional, where the word is just about action to you. And at the end of the day, there might have been fruit, but your attitude wasn't of peace. And so then it wasn't from your spirit. There might have been fruit, but your attitude wasn't of goodness. And so there wasn't fruit in your spirit. There might have been good things, but there wasn't patience or long-suffering being produced by your spirit. So it was produced by his word, not your spirit. You hear me? God knew Jonah will not get it. At the end of the day, actually, he knew Israel will not get it. They will constantly try to do my words and teach my words, void of my character. I must defeat all of this. So that my son is not just the word that they obey, but it's the life that they breathe. Where like my character is not just something distant, it's in them. God knew. Like what way have you been living? Really, what way? The danger is like so many of you have been church hurt. I just, I don't, woo, okay. The word church hurt just came to me. Some of you have been church hurt. And you've been church hurt because you've seen the paradox of the word producing, but the leadership not. Okay? You've seen the paradox. Some of you don't even realize that you've been bought into that, and you just think poorly because of it. Now you look for people doing the right thing because they underliningly did the wrong thing. But it wasn't about the right or wrong thing. It was about character. Right? And so, really, we've been hurt Because people handle the word of God, and it will produce. But God says, I died so that you produce. I defeated death so that you produce. So that you produce. In fact, real repentance is the last note I have, and then I have like end somehow. Uh, Real repentance involves a heart change. It really does. Real repentance involves a heart change where you're genuinely saying, God, I want to know your will, but I want to have your character too. And I not only did the opposite of your will, but I've been operating with a bad spirit, with a bad attitude. I've been literally motivated by bad character. So God, real repentance is, I need you to not just show me what to do right. I just need my heart changed. I need my heart changed. They don't need their heart changed. You need a heart change. My wife doesn't need the heart change. I need the heart change that thing doesn't need to be shifted. They don't need to do the right thing. You need a heart change. You need an attitude check. We do. Real repentance involves that. And it's really interesting. Uh, This is a soapbox that I will not go on, but I will just let you dive into it. Uh, We like to pendulum swing. I want to do the will of God, or I want to just operate with the character of God. And the Lord wants us to have both. What this looks like, some of you have really dwindled, you've dwindled down the will of God so much that you go to your workplace and you say, I'm just going to love people to Jesus. I'm just going to love them. And they're going to know that I'm a follower of Jesus by my character. Okay, cool. But how? You think they're just going to have to like, see you and instantly say the name Jesus because if I know what I know is you have to confess that Jesus is Lord in order to be saved so a character change won't communicate Jesus God's will and his character will what is God's will to have his name known what is his character you know it, to be loving, kind. This is why the world can say, love everyone, yet love has no name. And so, no salvation, no hope, no peace, no change. Right? This is why you can say, kind. I mean, I just think of like the Ellen DeGeneres, kindness. But there's no change, no hope, no transformation. Because you want the character of God, but not the will of God. But shame on us for doing the opposite too, like Jonah right? Who just want things to be right. I want this to be right. And God's like, can your heart just have mercy for people, please? I just want it to be right. Okay. Can you just get off of the judgment seat? I just want it to be right. I want to do good. Okay. Can you just see that I'm delighting in you? I want to be such a good son that you're trying to do the good son and not hearing the father just say, peace. My peace I give to you. My peace I have left with you. Peace. So, Father, in this place. Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.